Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Would you please open to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. The passage in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 is about how to strategically prepare and powerfully engage in the spiritual battlefield of life. What I want to do before we begin to dive into these nine verses here is I want to make a few general comments about the spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. First of all, we can fall into one of two extremes in the subject of the spiritual battle. One extreme would be to give the devil too much credit. We can do that. I don't believe that there is a devil behind every rock or around every corner. I don't believe that. Matter of fact, I believe that some of the times that we get into difficulties and problems, it's holes that we've dug ourselves by actions that we have taken or things that we have neglected to do. Those who emphasize this extreme They are those who are characterized often by fear, paralyzed by the reality of the enemy as a foe, and then there are those that can have a fascination with it. The other extreme is to dismiss or downplay the devil's role, and the spiritual battle. Those who are in this extreme, they can often have a flippant attitude regarding the spiritual battle, and that leads them to a dangerous ignorance of spiritual warfare, which results in a vulnerable life unprotected from the real, skillful, powerful adversary that we face. What the Bible does in this subject is it gives us a balanced approach. Neither of those two extremes. It doesn't advocate fear or fascination or being flippant with the subject. What the Word of God does is it lays out the truth related to to spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle, and it tells us strategically how to prepare for and powerfully engage in the spiritual dimension of life. And Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, is the, the preeminent passage in the New Testament 
that teaches on this subject. So would you open up to Ephesians 10, 16 and 17? I really encourage you to look in your Bible if you don't have one behind each row of chairs. We've got tables with Bibles. We want you to get one of those, follow along. Today, we're going to stick right here in this passage. We're not going to jump to any other passages. We're going to just stay locked right on Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Let me read that to begin with. Paul, as he ends this letter to the church at Ephesus, writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What I want to do to preach through that passage is I want to divide it for the sake of organization. I want to divide it under three questions. They are as follows. First question is this, why am I, as a son or a daughter of God, why am I involved in a spiritual war? Second question, what must I, how must I prepare for my spiritual battles? And third question, what must I do to fight the good fight? Why am I involved? How do I prepare? What must I do? So first question, why am I involved? In a spiritual war, as a son or daughter of God, why? Look at verse 12. Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The answer to the why behind the war is related to turf. You see, children of God are engaged in a spiritual war here because we live here behind enemy lines. Paul here, look closely at the verse again. Verse 12. Look at who Paul refers to here. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil that are responsible for, quote, this present darkness. You hear the implication here? He's not saying it explicitly, but he's writing about the present darkness that shrouds the culture of his day, certainly the culture of our day as well. 
And then he identifies the source behind the present pervasive darkness. You see, the devil and his forces are very real. And they have a very evil intent. The battle is continually raging. That unseen spiritual battle, we are a part of it whether we know it or not. But I have an idea if you're a son or a daughter of God, you probably are aware of the reality. So as you take up residence on this globe called earth, here's the truth. You're in a war because you're behind enemy lines. Satan is called in Scripture the prince of the power of the air. Look at verse 13. The first half of verse 13 And let me show you the second reason why we are engaged in a war. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, listen to these four words, in the evil day. In the evil day. Not only, folks, not only, verse 12, is there a present darkness in general, there's also a specific evil day. Not only is it true that we live in a fallen world that is counterculture to the ways of God, but there are also days when we are not simply under the difficulty of the reality of evil in principle and its pervasiveness, but there are days when the enemy and his forces turn their attention and their gaze upon you as a son or a daughter of God or upon me as a son of God and the attack comes right at me, right to my door. Very intentional, strategic goal to bring pain and heartache and destruction. So here's the second reason that we're in a war. Not only do we live behind enemy lines, we take enemy fire. We live behind enemy lines. That's the general principle. And then there are evil days that the enemy's got your name and your number and you take fire and he comes at you hard and fast and relentless. But listen, church, listen. Even though we can't see him and even though we are absolutely no match for him and on our own, absolutely no match, yet the Bible doesn't tell us to fear the devil. That's pretty awesome. We are not to be fascinated with the evil side either, nor are we to be flippant about the evil realm. That's those extremes. But what we are to do what the Bible does give us is it just gives us the facts and does it without hype and tells us what is taking place and what we need to do to engage the battle. And a key passage is right here. So let's move to question two. 
What must or how must I prepare myself for the spiritual battle? As a son or a daughter of God, how must I prepare myself for the spiritual battle? I want you to just listen closely. Obviously, with nine verses, if you've been a part of this church for a while, you know I have a hard time getting through one, so I'm not going to be tearing nine verses apart intricately this morning. What I want to do is just scan the verses that follow now and pick out some phrases and draw out an implication and a truth from it. Just listen closely. Maybe if you mark in your Bibles, maybe you want to underline or highlight these words or phrases that I'm going to draw attention to. Verse 10 says, finally be strong in these three words, in the Lord. The spiritual battle that you're fighting, here's what you need. You need a strength other than your own. No, even more, you need one strength, only one that is up to the task, and it's to be strong in the Lord. How are you strong in the Lord? You're strong in the Lord as you remain in the Lord. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your communion. I'm talking about you staying close to the Lord. I'm talking about you being in relationship and fellowship, daily connecting with Him in His Word, learning from the Spirit about the truth of Christ and the person of Christ and the plan of Christ so that you are building that relationship with Christ. And it's out of that communion that you get the strength of the Lord as you remain in Him. I'm looking for an amen. Amen. The closer you walk with Him, the stronger you'll be in Him. Not because you earn it. It's not what I'm talking about. It's just because he has chosen that that's the means of grace he's going to use to pour his power into your life. Remain in me, he said, and I will remain in you. Let my words remain in you and ask whatever you wish. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Listen to these five words. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What does the armor of God enable you to do? Did Paul say right here in verse 11, it enables you or tells you that the only way you're going to stand against the schemes of the devil is that you put on the armor of God. That's the only way. That's what's implied in the phrase that you may be able In other words, you will not be able if you don't do what he's telling us to do right here. You cannot do it any other way. He's given one process, one way that we can come in to the power of the Lord, the might of the Lord, and it is as we put on the armor of God. So, first implication is this. How do I prepare myself for the spiritual battles? Number one, by total dependency on God. 
Do you understand how that's in there? You have to be strong in who? Not in you, in the Lord. Whose armor do you need? Not yours, but the Lord's. You have to be totally dependent on the Spirit of God, on the person of Christ, if you're going to have success in any degree in the spiritual battle against the spiritual forces of evil. You by yourself, your wolf bait. Underline maybe this phrase, verse 10. In the four words, strength of His might. Strength of His might. You want to be effective in the spiritual battle, you need His might. Who's the Lord's? Jesus Christ's might. His might. Let's just kind of walk around that truth for a minute. Let's ruminate on it a minute. Let's ponder it for a minute. What kind of might does the Lord have? What is the Lord's might? Let me give you a few clues from Scripture. In the beginning, there was nothing. He spoke, then came everything. That's His might. You know what He has? He has creation might. Let me give you another aspect of the might of the Lord. Daniel is down in the lion's den with some hungry, ravenous lions, and the Lord shuts the lions' mouths. You know what that means? You know what kind of might the Lord has? He has lion-taming might. That's pretty cool, huh? Let me give you another one. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? I don't mean, you know, a little quaint fireside in the living room. No, this is a furnace heated seven times hotter, so hot that when the guards threw them in, the fire and the heat consumed the guards that threw them in. But not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know why? The king looked down there and said, hey, I threw three guys in there. There's a fourth. And he looks like the Son of God. And it was the might of the Lord. It was the might of the Lord that was a fireproof might. Let me give you another one. He healed blind eyes. He took paralyzed legs and made them leap for joy. Why? Because he has a healing might. Hey, thank you. He has a healing might. There was a tomb dwelling demon-possessed man of the Gadarenes who would cut himself and cry out And then the might of the Lord came by. And the tomb-dwelling, demon-possessed man became a preacher to ten cities. Why? Because the might of the Lord is a delivering might. Lazarus was 
unmummified and unbound from a three-day-old grave clothes trip because the might of the Lord is a what? A death-defeating, life-giving might. And then there's a tomb. There's a tomb in Jerusalem. A tomb that is empty that was once filled. I know I've been there. I stooped down and I walked in and I looked and I can tell you it's empty. Why? Because of the might of the Lord, Him who laid there, the kind of might that He has is a resurrection might. And then, he takes the life of a wretched, hopeless slave to sin. And he forgives them. And he begins transforming him so that he has a life full of purpose with an undefeatable joy because his might is a recreation might. And I know what I'm talking about because that's me. That's me. He did that for me. That's the kind of might that he has. And Paul says, be strong in the might of the Lord. That's the kind of might he has. That's the kind of might that you need in the spiritual battle of life. You are never going to fight the battle and gain any success in your power or anybody else's power except the might of the Lord. But the truth is, it's available to you. It's yours. If you're a son or a daughter of God, it's already yours. You just got to walk in it and stand in it. Look at verse 11 and 13 and 14. Listen to these words. 11, to stand. 13, Able to withstand and to stand firm. 14, stand therefore. Doesn't it seem strange? He's writing about the battle here and the strategy that he is developing to the son or a daughter of God is that they are to do what? Four times, stand. To stand. What? What in the world? What are you telling them to stand for? Well, when is it that you need to stand and remain where you are? Here's when. When you're already in the right place. When you're already where you should be. When you're standing in the victory that Jesus Christ has already won. That's when you stand. You don't have to win anything it's already won you just have to stand the victory has been accomplished satan has been defeated he's still hanging around and kicking but his days are coming right he's been defeated so all you have to do is stand you just have to stand So here's what you need then. You need complete confidence in God. 
You need complete confidence. You see, how much you prepare yourself, you need total dependency on God and complete confidence in God. It's already been won. And then listen to these phrases. Verse 10, be strong. Verse 11, put on. Verse 12, wrestle. Verse 13, take up. Verse 16, take up. Verse 17, take the helmet. Verse 18, praying at all times. Verse 18, keep alert. Here's what I'm hoping jumps out to you here. Yes, you must have total dependence and complete confidence in God, but what Paul is highlighting here is that he's telling us, although God could do it without you, he's not going to do it without you. He wants you engaged. He wants you wholeheartedly engaged. How do we prepare for our spiritual battles. Here's the third truth. We fully engage with God. We fully engage. No, we cannot in our strength win the victory, but God has given it to us and he provides the strength for the day-to-day living it out. And what we have to do is to give all of our heart and mind and soul to that process to go with him in victory, to walk the mic victory march with him as he leads us on we need full engagement yes we believe there's a real battle and a real devil and that jesus has won the real victory but in the meantime here's what often happens we consume ourselves with the battle that we can see and forget about the battle that we can't. Oh, that statement right there, if we could get that one right there down and live that one out. As I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is the one life, the one life that never, ever got distracted from the spiritual reality. Jesus is the one life that truly understood that the spiritual reality is more real than the physical reality. Jesus said this, I only do what I see my Father doing. In other words, I don't do anything in the seen realm that I don't see the Father doing in the spiritual realm. It was absolute, unwavering, eyes like a flint set on the spiritual reality of life. And we, earthbound with a mortal body, still a seed of sin, even though we're saved and seated spiritually with Christ at the right hand of the Father, so often we are walking and trudging this earth behind enemy lines under attack. And what we do is we forget about that and we turn our attention onto the things that we see and we fight the battle of busyness or we fight the battle of bills or we fight the battle of business or whatever other battle in the spiritual realm that comes our way and we forget to keep our focus on the spiritual realm instead of the physical realm. If that's you this morning, then God is calling you to refocus your life. Yes, you have to live here. I'm not talking about you being absent and disconnected from reality, but was Jesus? (laughs) 
Jesus is the most connected human that ever lived spiritually and physically because he had it right. That's what happens when we get it right here. We get it right here. doesn't matter how hard and much effort we put into getting it right here. If we're neglecting the spiritual reality, this is broken and is going to stay broken and we're going to be defeated. But we have to get it right horizontally, stay focused on, keep the Word of God coming in. This is that renewing of the mind that we've been talking about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is staying connected to the spiritual realities of life and letting the tangible be secondary to the primary, which is spiritual. That's what's going to last. That's what's eternal. Compared to eternity, this is like a, a mist that is here for a short time and then vanishes, Scripture says. It's just like the twinkling of an eye. So what must I do to fight the good fight? Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Listen, why does a soldier wear armor? Because it's preppy? Why does a soldier wear armor? They wear armor as a shield against attack, right? Hello, right? If my memory serves me correctly, Paul, writing this letter, was chained in prison next to a Roman soldier in armor. What an incredible word picture as he had the illustration there beside him and wrote about the armor of God. And what else do you think he was doing? I know he was talking about, to that soldier about the armor of God, right? I just love to think about that. But there's an incredible connection here. Watch this. As I think about the titles, some of the titles that Jesus used to describe the devil... I want to show you the connection to the armor. John 8, Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. And in the spiritual armor, we have the belt of, the belt of truth. What defeats a lie? The truth. Matthew 13, he's called the evil one. Evil, wickedness, unrighteousness. What do we have as a breastplate in our spiritual armor? We have the breastplate of righteousness to combat the evil. He's called in Matthew 13 the sower of discord. What do we have in the armor with our shoes, our sandals? We have the sandals of peace. What defeats discord? It's peace. He's called the tempter in Matthew chapter 4. What do we have in our armor? We have the shield of faith that we can extinguish 
the temptations of the enemy. He's called the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12. But what we have in the armor is the helmet of salvation. He comes to accuse us of who we are and of what we've done. But what we can do with the helmet of salvation is fend that off with the truth about what salvation is and how sovereign God is in it so that the enemy cannot come against us effectively when we're wearing the helmet of salvation and bringing his accusations. And then finally, he's called the deceiver. He's the deceiver. And what we have is the sword of God's Word, the sword of the Spirit that defeats deception because it is the truth. You see, Satan knows that he's a defeated foe. He knows. So think about this in closing. How does a defeated foe come against a follower of Jesus Christ, his conqueror? What would be the strategy of a defeated foe coming against a son or a daughter of Christ, a brother or sister of Christ who has eternally defeated him. He really has one strategy and he uses two methods. Here's his one strategy. He wants to get you to do something to bring about your own problems and your own struggles and your own mistakes and defeats. I'm not talking about eternally. I'm talking about in the moment-by-moment situations of life. And how is he going to attempt that? He does two things. Here's his two plays. Number one, he tempts you to do what you should not do. And number two, he tempts you not to do what you should. He tempts you to do what you should not do, and he tempts you not to do what you should. Because he knows that if you do what you should, if you stay connected, if you're being renewed in the mind by the power of the Word of God, under the leading of the Spirit of God, praying for God to take that and transform you, your life is going to be transformed and you're going to walk close with Jesus and you're going to be in Him and have the might of the Lord, which is what has already defeated Him. And so what He wants to do is get you to do what you shouldn't that brings defeat and not to do what you should that brings victory. So your defensive strategy, say no to sin. Your offensive strategy, grow more like Jesus. And your only hope, pray, 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 pray. That's why he ends it with pray, pray, pray. You see, do you know that Satan is a thrice-defeated foe. You ever thought about that? He's a thrice-defeated foe. When Satan rose up against God in heaven, wanting the worship that was given to God as the worship leader of heaven, he was cast out and defeated And then Jesus came to the earth 
And at the beginning of his ministry, the Spirit led him out in the wilderness. And for 40 days and nights, Jesus was there, tempted by the devil, and he threw at him all that he had. And Jesus came through that temptation, that battle in the desert, in victory, and he rebuked Satan and told him to get behind him and then one final time he mounted an assault and he led some men of evil heart to call for his crucifixion and I'm sure in glee watched as Christ hung there in death to foolish to realize that was the nail in his own coffin. That was the thing that won the victory. That was the death blow that defeated death itself. So he's a thrice defeated foe. The one that is in battle against you is a thrice defeated foe. You don't half to generate some creative strategies and ingenious plans. You just have to go to the book that tells you what to do and what you need to do is stand in the victory already won by remaining in and leaning into Jesus Christ continually and praying that His might would flow through you unto victory against the enemy and all of his schemes. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Father, I pray a prayer over this body. I'm asking you in Jesus' mighty name that you would meet us right where you're at. Everyone is at a different place on the journey. And I'm asking that wherever that is that you know perfectly about, that you would come to us and you would show us individually what it is that we need to do to take the next step and to continue living in the victory that you've already won for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.